Our modern Western culture places little to no value on the power of our nightly dreams to inspire, shift, and reorganize our lives. This podcast demands a deep reconsideration of the role dreams play on our path to a more vital and meaningful life. The following is living proof of the life-affirming power of dreams to affect change and redirect the trajectory of our inner and outer lives. These are the dreams that shape us. When we speak of the dreams that shape us, it can include all types of dreams. There are dreams that teach, dreams that touch our hearts, and dreams that shake us to the core. Then there are dreams that help us make decisions that shape our lives, sometimes for years to come. Dreams about our professions and careers and fields of study. Dreams that guide us to places we will live spouses and partners we will choose, and the children we will have. Yes, even our future children can be shown to us in our dreams. And that leads us to our guest, Linda Yael Schiller. Linda is a psychotherapist with decades of experience, and she is an aneronaut, somebody who not only studies dreams, but can shape and control them. And that fact is going to come into play here as we talk with Linda about an experience that she had where her future child was shown to her first in a dream, or at least the dream helped her to make a decision that was very much present in her life. In Linda's wonderful book, Modern Dream Work, she opens with how a dream helped her make one of the most important decisions of her life. Linda, welcome to the dreams that shape us. You know me, I'm J.M. DeBoard, and later um, the listeners will be hearing from my co-host, Steve Ernenwein. And you are a friend of mine, and I have read your book. I have it here on my shelf. You open with a fantastic story about a dream that shaped your life. It's, um, well, how old is your daughter now? She's in her early 20s, right? Right. She's 23. I almost said 22. She's 23 years old now. And you adopted her when she was about a year old. So the decision that you made based on a dream that you had shaped your life for the next 22 years. And and counting for many more, we hope. <laughs> and counting for many more, right. So now we've given our listeners uh, a tease about what we have coming up. You Will you just uh, take us back to that time, um, Twenty some years ago, when you were presented with the opportunity to adopt a child and you had to decide whether or not that was the right child for you and you weren't sure. So I just set the scene. Will you take it from there? Absolutely. Thanks, Jason, for your great intro. And thank you for having me on your show. So 22 years ago, my husband and I were in the process of adopting a baby from China. And it's a fairly long, arduous process to do an international adoption, as anyone who's been through the adoption world knows. We used to joke that it's like a double pregnancy because it took about 18 months from start to finish. <laughs> yeah. At least at the time. Now, it, you know, things may be different. But um, so after somewhere around a year, a year in, or maybe a little over a year, we got what in adoption lingo is called a referral. 
And uh, we were given a little tiny picture the size of a postage stamp of a little baby all wrapped up in a snowsuit, uh, mostly just the head and shoulder shot. Um, and she said, here's your baby. This is the, the, the child that's been chosen for you. And she is um, about 13 months old now. So by the time you go and pick her up, she'll be about a year and a half old, year and eight months old. And we were thrilled, shocked, delighted, all of the above. But we were also thinking, wow, we were hoping to be able to get a child that was younger and therefore would have spent less time being in an orphanage because we know that those are not you know, ideal environments. So we had hoped that she would have had as little experience as possible there because we knew it would be another five or six months before we would travel once the referral was confirmed. So we're sitting in the director's office with the director Lillian of the agency called China Adoption with Love. And I exchange a look with my husband and then I say to Lillian, Lillian, I, I, I don't know. This is such a big decision. It's, we, you know, she's a little older than we thought. So Lillian gets on the phone. She says, well, you know, we're not, we don't know for sure how old she is because in, in China and, and in particular when kids are adopted, they're, they're left in places and there's no birth certificate or anything with them. She says, let me call China right now and we'll find out if this is true. So she gets on the phone as we're sitting there with China and spends a few minutes talking. And then she comes back and said, oh, no, you know, did we say that she was already 12 or 13 months old? She's not. She's, she's only nine months old. Now, we, we were mistaken. So. Who, who knows what the truth is? But anyway, I said, you know what, Lillian? And I look at my husband. I said, can we have one more day before we have to give you a decision? Because I want to go home and dream on it. And she said, yes, but you need to let us know by tomorrow because otherwise, you know, we want to find you a different referral if, if this is not the right baby for you. So the stakes were pretty high and I had 24 hours with which to have a dream and figure out if this was our baby. So um, do you want me to just keep on talking here? I don't know if you want to pipe in at any point or should I just keep telling the story? No, please do. Okay. You're, you, this is a great narrative. So tell us next about the, you go home after you have this huge decision to make and you decide you're going to dream on it, which already shows that you have at that time, uh, you already know the power of dreams to help us to make these decisions because there aren't many people who would say, let me go home and dream on it. Right. They might say, they might say, let me go home and sleep on it. And basically they mean the same thing. They need time to digest this decision and allow these deeper levels of themselves to come forward in the dream space. So tell us about the dream that you had that night. It's fascinating, and you relate it in your book, Modern Dreamwork. Thank you. So before going to bed, I incubated a dream. And as many of your readers might know, to incubate a dream means you, before going to sleep, write down in your dream journal what you would like your dream to give you information about. If it's a dilemma you have or a problem you want to solve or a creative direction for your work, but you spend a few minutes or as long as you want writing about this uh, question that you have and you end the writing with a, as clear a question as possible. So I spent a few minutes writing in my dream journal, incubating a dream. And I think the question I ended up with is, is this child that we saw in the picture today, is she our daughter? And I was really bossy with my dream guide that night because 
I didn't want a dream that was so symbolic that it would take me days or, or longer to decode it and unpack the symbolism. I, I needed to know right away how to understand this dream. So I think I even wrote, I need this to be crystal clear so I can understand it right away. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's what I wrote down in my uh, journal. And I woke up a couple times in the night, no dream. And then in the morning I woke up, I had a dream and it was crystal clear to me. I personally love her spunk. And when we incubate dreams, sometimes being a little bossy serves us well, like here. Other times, not so much. And if we're being, if our ego is completely taking over and being crazy bossy, then I would argue that it seldom works. Because ultimately, the deep self doesn't serve the ego. Or it's fanciful requests, right? (laughs) But our dreams do come through for us when we need them. Every time. Every single time. And we can put complete faith in that. Because like in her example, this decision is going to affect and change her entire life from here forward. And so the deep self is absolutely invested in this decision. And you can hear in the retelling of her experience that the deep self didn't offer the dream in the first couple of times she woke up. She had nothing. And I imagine it left her kind of gasping like, oh my God, what if I really don't get a dream? But in those final moments, It came through, and it always will come through if it's truly needed. I believe that. So in order to understand the dream, you need a little bit of the backstory, and then the symbolism of the dream will be super clear, and you'll see that it was not really uh, very hidden at all. So the backstory to understand the dream is, A year or two prior to that, my mother-in-law had given us a tool shed for our gardening tools to um, to to put in. And our house is on a hill, so um, it was a slant, and we have a deck built out over the backyard. And the tool shed was going to be placed right beneath the deck. So when the guy came to put in the tool shed, he said, "Oh, this is a little too big; it won't fit." But he said, "No problem. I'll just dig down." And we'll put in a foundation and then the tool shed will fit fine right here where you wanted it under your deck. And he did and it did. And we had a tool shed in the backyard. So the dream I woke up with was we have a tool shed. It's a little bit bigger than expected, but it fit just right. And that was it. Crystal clear. The baby was a little bit bigger than we might have expected, but she was our baby and she fit just right. And you soon found out that that was correct. I mean, that's what you were told in the dream at first, but then as your life evolved from that point, yes, the the dream was correct that the daughter you adopted did fit into your life. 
Yes. And one way to describe how well she fits is, you know, we all have someone in our life that um, absolutely delights us or makes us, hopefully we have someone in our life who makes us belly laugh. My daughter makes me laugh sometimes until I have tears in my eyes more than any other person on the planet. Um, and, you know, adopting a kid with all of her background, you know, there's been ups and downs over the years, but she's a wonderful, delightful young woman now. Um, she's in her senior year of college. And um, before this particular time, now that we're in of the pandemic, she was thinking of going to work for a few years before going to graduate school. But now in pandemic times, not knowing, you know, what the future will bring in terms of job opportunities, she's applying to graduate school. So and actually in healthcare management and administration. So she's sort of following in a related field of both of her parents, me as a someone who in mental health care and my husband as a physical therapist who worked in a hospital for many years. She's gonna do the admin side of things. So fitting in on many in many ways, like she fits into the family as far as your professions, careers, um, your prof- your professional interests. And also just as the personality that was brought to you, someone who has been a delightful child for you. And you gave her something, you gave her a home, you gave her a family, and she gave you something back too, which um, I'm sure in many ways. But we're we're seeing here that the dreaming mind somehow knew that she was the right fit in a personal sort of way. It presented it to you as this shed, and it drew upon the memories of when you had that shed installed and when the installer said, oh, you know, it doesn't quite fit here in the space we had for it. But we'll just dig down a little bit. We'll make the space for it. So you have the wonderful analogy here because your home Mm -hmm. is where you are inviting her into. Your home, it can symbolize in a dream the life you build or create for yourself. And here you're adding this smaller structure, a child, onto the larger structure, Mm -hmm. the family. So you have these wonderful ways that the dream has taken this and created a story around it. Yeah. Now, Linda, do you have any speculation about how the dream source knew that your daughter was the right daughter for you? I mean, it, it, it implies having knowledge of her, of, of the future. And of course, it has that knowledge of you and, and your husband through you. Your dreaming mind right. knows you and your world through you. But she is halfway across the world. That's You've right. never seen or met her. That's so right. do you have any ideas about how that works? How did your dreaming mind know that she was right for you? That's a great question, Jason, and I'm going to give you a little piece of information that I I don't think I wrote in the book, and I don't think I ever actually shared it with you before. So there are two ways to answer this question. One is the generic, and then the second is the specific. The generic answer is, how does my dreaming mind know who I am and who this child is and who our family is supposed to be? I have studied Kabbalah and other forms of mysticism for many, many years, and one of the things that most mystic traditions teach is that time and space are relatives are relative, not relatives. There's a Freudian flip right there. Like, um, like theory of like theory of relativity, time and space are relative. And exactly. that's what Einstein says in his theory of relativity. Right. Okay, we, so. Which has actually been proved at this point with quantum physics. We're still discovering that. So time and space are relative and 
when we are in sacred time and sacred space, we're able to envision, see, or touch the past, the present, and the future simultaneously. And I believe that in dream work, we have that opportunity to inhabit sacred time and space. So in doing that, depending on your worldview and what your uh, orientation is, whether you think it's God or the force or the universe or something larger than ourselves, there's a way of accessing that eternal knowledge. Um, Carl Jung might call it accessing our collective unconscious as well. So I think that in the dreaming space, we can access past, present, and future with the greater mind of the universe along with us. And our individual minds connected with the greater mind of the universe then can give us glimpses not only into our past, but also into our future. So I think that was going on for me in this dream and what was at play. So that's a very generic kind of explanation of sort of the spiritual element of dreaming that I uh, am delighted to participate in. The specific is that in Chinese tradition, there's the story of the red thread. And the red thread connects people heart to heart who are beloved of each other, whether it's husband and wife, whether it's parent and child, whether it's another relationship. But anyway, at the beginning of our adoption process, I had started sending the red thread to our daughter in China, who I did not even know at that point who she was. But I also believe that that red thread that I was sending from my heart across the globe to this as of yet unknown baby in China connected with her heart. And that it was, there's a Yiddish word, it's beshert, which means it was just meant to be. Um, so that red thread connected us and my dreaming mind confirmed it at that dream. When our dreams offer us confirmation, like they've done here for her, it is such a deeply felt experience. It's like a yes, like a oh, it just comes through you and it feels so right in every single cell of our body. Because our dreams come from that source deep inside of us that knows that knows truth, like the truth, with a capital T, the big truth. And so when this dream affirms for her that this is her daughter, she must have been absolute at that point, with no even lingering second thought about it. Oh, that is wonderful, Linda. Yes, you didn't say anything about that in your book, and now you have uh, just revealed a, a deeper layer to this, that the space between you, the distance, the, the vast Pacific Ocean, is nothing 
to the dreaming mind when you are in a sacred space. And when you sent out that message from your heart and directed it to China, because you knew that that's where you were going to adopt a child from, you just didn't know which child. So you let your heart speak and say, find the right child for me. So the dream source picked this up and ran with it, but you were you were helping it along. You kind of gave it a little boost, it sounds like. I, I think so, yeah. I was sort of actively reaching out through time and space from the moment we made the connection with the referral agency. Now, I've talked to other people who have had the same sort of thing happen, but without without giving it the boost, without the red thread, who, um, which by the way, Linda, wonderful way of working on the, um, using the uh, cultural tradition um, and mythology of China as part of your um, practice that you did of, of, of using, using the red thread, which was a Chinese tradition to help you to find a daughter in China. Very interesting way of doing it. I suppose for someone out there who is looking for a child in Ireland that they might look up, um, you know, um, some Irish traditions, or if they're in Germany or Italy or Africa or, you know, Brazil, that if they want to adopt a child, that they would look into um, the traditions uh, of that culture and then utilize them as their own. So very interesting tip. I just wanted to throw that in because I have a feeling that we're going to have a listener out there who is in a similar situation Mm -hmm. as you and Mm -hmm. would like to have, you know, would like to know how do they attract the right um, child to them. Mm -hmm. But not only is the space that it doesn't, you know, the the space now no longer matters because the distance in space to the dreaming mind, it's as if she was right there with you, even though she was across the Pacific Ocean at the time, that that space does not matter, which I think is one of the first things that people have to um, wrap their minds around when they're doing this kind of work is, is that space does not matter. She could be on another planet (laughs) she could be in another galaxy and the way that our universe works is is that there are instantaneous connections that can be made but also it's through time now linda you just brought up something here that is a, a great subject for us to explore is that the time is not what we understand it to be as this linear progression, the hands of a clock, the Mm -hmm. turning of the pages of the calendar. That is a measurement that we use for our own purposes. Time itself, as you say, past, present, and future all interconnect. And this is the theory about how precognitive dreams work, is is that it's because our dreaming mind is not tied to our conception of time, linear time. Our dreaming mind actually understands the true nature of time, as outlined in Einstein's theories and in physics, that past, present, and future is all the same. And that, as you say, it's relative. So you could say in a way that the future time was coming up when your daughter was going to be part of your life and you could confirm in your own heart that that was the right decision. And in a way, your mind, maybe we'll speculate here, your dreaming mind was able to look ahead at that possibility and say, yes, yes, this is the answer to the question because I can see ahead into the future, which is a place that is further ahead in space 
mm-hmm. and see actually what is occurring in that what we call future time, but it's simply a future space where the earth, where you will be in a future time is also where it will be, where it is in space is also where it will be in time. Uh, (laughs) is anybody else's mind blown? Like, whoa, dude, I've always really appreciated the concept of time and space being relative, but I've never heard it explained that well before. And wow. Okay. Thank you, Jason. Keep going. Mm -hmm. So you're looking ahead. And so do you think that might come into your understanding? You brought up quantum physics, and I know that you've studied the subject. Do you think that that's what's going on? Is is that your mind is actually able to kind of see and project ahead, not only in time, but in space? The short answer, I think, would be yes. (laughs) Um, I think both, particularly when our linear left brain waking style of interacting, thinking, conversing is asleep for the night. And our dreaming mind takes the forefront. We know that where dreams come from is connected with the limbic system and the um, reptilian uh, or medulla of our brain. We also know it's connected with the orbital frontal cortex, which is how we see the things that we see in our dreams. So the parts of our brain connected with nonlinear, creative, right brain thinking are the parts of our brain that are most turned on while we sleep. We also know that in a dream, it's always now. We're not dreaming yesterday this happened or next week this is going to happen. We're dreaming this is happening right now. So in a very real way, whatever it is we're having in our dream, it's happening in the now in the dream. And as far as our body interprets or our body resonates to the dream, it's the same to our body mind as if it was actually happening in clock time of now. So we resonate with our dreams as now. And we all have the ability, I think, to see and peek around the corner of time and space. We just don't recognize it or we don't work on it. And if we're not remembering and recording our dreams, then we won't know if we have pre-dreamt something, if we had a precognitive dream, if we didn't have the dream to see, oh, this happened. And I dreamed it, you know, last year or two years ago. So, you know, having a practice of dream work helps us to be tuned into this sort of uh, way of being present in the future as well as in the present time. Wow, that is wonderful. And you bring up something that Here's an idea that I'd, I'd like for you to consider and get your thoughts on. When you had, you, when you had, when a person has an experience like you had, and I've, as a redditor, as a moderator at Reddit, and someone who writes books about dreams, you know, public figure, I get a lot of feedback from people, and I hear their stories, and I've a lot of people have said that they've had similar experiences where they have seen their future children. And when I asked them about how that decision was made, about that that choice, that and what was going on with it, what the way they usually relate it is, is that they felt like the child was chosen for them by God or some you know deity or spiritual force, something larger than themselves. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's possible, Linda, that that choice was actually yours? 
that you got that information somehow <laughs> into you and that you were the one who was actually making that decision. But based off of being able to pull in this information into your nervous system, almost like, say, like remote viewing. I don't want to go too far afield with this, but you mentioned <laughs> the right brain. And in remote viewing, the right brain is what's it's it's the intuitive, creative brain that works in pictures instead of words. Right. And it's also disconnected from um, linear time in the same way that the very orderly structured um, rational left brain is. So do you think that perhaps maybe you were in a way taking this information into yourself and that you were the one who pulled that in, saw all the information and said, yes, this is my child. And that it wasn't necessarily God or spirit or something else that did it. The best way I can answer that question, I think, is to refer to a type of theology known as process theology. And process theology proposes that God or whatever word you would use the listener would use if, if God is a word they're not comfortable with. The force of the universe participates in creating the earth and everything on it. And humankind also participates in co-creation of the earth and everything on it. What I like about process theology is this idea of co-creation. So that's what I would default to in my answer, and rather than say just one or just the other, I'd say something about the intersection with the mind of the universe and my own yearnings co-created this time and place whereby this was to be our child. I I like that, Linda. It- you know, our dreams are also a co-creative process where we are kind of given an outline of a story um, or a narrative, um, a simulation type of environment that we go into in the dream. The outline is there, and then the content emerges from the unconscious mind for us to interact with. And our choices and reactions determine how the story unfolds. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure. So it's a co-creative process in the dream. And you are taking this a step further and saying that life itself is a co-creative process between us and the force, the universe, life itself. And so it means that if you if you take that idea and you um, stretch it out even, you know, stretch it out more, it says that our we're kind of consulting with this larger force that knows everything because it's the universe and it encompasses the entire universe. So it has all of that information already. And then we kind of consult with it. And so in your dream, you kind of tested the water. You say, okay, well, what do you think? Send me the information. But in the end, it's still our decisions. So if it's a co-creative process, then we are we have much more power over our own lives and decisions than the way it's typically conceived of is, is that you're giving up your will, you're giving up your decision-making power to a higher power. Mm-hmm. And that higher power turns right around and says, no, I'm teaching you what I do. So I need you to be a co-creator along with me. Right. And that life is in, is in a way teaching us this process. This is wonderful, Linda. Thank um, you. Can, can um, I add something here? Or, please I'm do. Where we are with with time, um, plenty of time. 
Oh, okay. So a couple things based on what you said. I'm actually teaching a class right now on dreams in Kabbalah. I'm in the middle of a six-week class that I'm teaching. And there are a couple of principles from Jewish mysticism that you, you inadvertently touched on. And one thing is from the Kabbalah, from, excuse me, from the Talmud that says, all dreams follow the mouth. And what does that mean? It means it follows the mouth of the interpreter, either you yourself or the people who you're working with. So the meaning that we ascribe to the dream that we have will direct the actions and results and choices we then make. So we know that the final arbiter of the meaning of any dream is the dreamer, him or herself. Yes. So whatever resonates with as true for the dreamer is what is true for that dreamer and that dream. However, we also know that dreams can have multiple layers of meaning. It's not just one thing. So we need to pay attention when we're working with our dreams to how are we interpreting our own dreams or how are we helping other people to interpret theirs because it's a, it's a big responsibility, actually, and it's very, very powerful. So this phrase of all dreams follow the mouth, it's from the, the Talmud, which is one of the holy books um, in Jewish tradition, tells us to really pay attention to how we're understanding our own or other people's dreams, because that is going to set our future choices and actions in a particular direction. So that's one piece. The other piece is there's a concept called tikkun olam, which means repairing the world, and that that is something part of co-creation with God or the force of the universe Whatever your spiritual tradition is, if you sort of accept that uh, covenant, you know, we just finished reading about Noah and the rainbow being the covenant that God's not going to destroy the world by by flood again. Um, But the tikkun olam means that we participate not only in co-creating, but in healing and repairing the world as well. So we can use ourselves and our dreaming work to co-create and co-repair the world along with whoever or whatever we believe a higher power to be. So there's an implication here that the dream space not only is co-creative, but is a creative space as in it creates the future. We could say that. Yes. And the decisions that you make in your dreams can, and the way that you interpret and understand your dreams, whether you're doing it for yourself or as you do with work with clients, mm-hmm. is actually the is actually going to help to shape the future based off of that interpretation. And since it's your dream, and exactly. the dreamer, in the sense that the dreamer is the one who has the dream and is the is the final authority on it, then finding a um, a positive viewpoint or perspective on the dream, especially for how it could unfold in the future could actually be, in a way, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Is that how you understand it? Beautifully said. One of the, the another premise from uh, mystical teachings from Kabbalah is that embedded in every dream, including our nightmares, is a gift. And part of our work in understanding and working through our dreams is to find that gift, even in the scary nightmares. So there's something positive to be found in every dream. And we are all hardwired for healing and growth in our systems. So how we understand and interpret the dream and how we 
delve into it to find the gifts that it's offering, even if they're hard gifts, there's still something we need to know or we need to do or we need to understand or we need to rethink or we need to get a different perspective on. We change our own life when we change our attitude, right? I think Wayne Dwyer, our our, um, inspirational speaker, I think he said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So it's like that. How do we understand this dream will then affect what do we do with the information that we got from it? And that, so that means the you as a dream worker have a um, you have a big responsibility. Um, it's not just in um, leading the person to the correct interpretation of their dream, which we like to say that only they know what the correct interpretation is. And there can also be many layers of the dream. And maybe it's not necessarily correct isn't necessarily the right word to use. It's more of um, leading to uh, what feels right and fits right for the dreamer. But there's a deeper responsibility there because you're also helping to shape that person's future through your influence on them, through their understanding of the dream. And I just want to make this clear, Linda, because as we're talking, I'm thinking of the course that I've been creating for dream workers. And this is one of the things that I've been teaching them, except now you've just put it into words that's even um, makes it even more obvious. Um, mm-hmm. It's that you you have a tremendous um, influence, call it power, when you help somebody else to interpret their dreams. And so you, of course, want to be very careful with that power. But you also, even in the most nightmarish dreams, even in the ones that seem to be hitting you over the head with a baseball bat, that <laughs> there's still something at the heart of that dream that's trying to help the dreamer. And if you can if you can find what that is and bring it forth, then the person can then use that information so that well, one their dreams will not have to hit them over the head as hard anymore, right. <laughs> um, but also to help them to shape their future. Right. So when we do dream work, um, there's sort of three steps. There's before the dream, which is are you doing any incubation or preparing? Um, or setting a sacred space in your room? Are you smudging? Are you surrounding yourself with light? Whatever you're doing. There's having the dream itself. Um, and then there's a whole other conversation that we're not going to have right now about lucid dreaming, which is being awake in your dream. But then after you wake up and you've had your dream, what do you do with it next? And if you do some dream work practices such as dream re-entry, where you, in your waking life, go back inside the dream, have conversations with the dream characters or with the dream objects, ask questions, um, ask for information, see what they have to offer you. You can actually get to levels of understanding and levels of healing in things that were implied by the dream that can lead you in a direction of growth and healing, but may not have been contained in the actual dream narrative itself. Can you give an example if you have one? Therapy too, and doing therapeutic dream work. So can you think of, uh, because I, I have another question, which is to 
talk about some other maybe life-shaping uh, dreams that you've had, but can you give an example of that, of how working with a dream was able to unfold that other, that deeper information out of the dream? The, the content of the dream shows you one thing, you start to understand it, but then as you continue to work in the dream, you start unfolding more and more out of it. Is there anything you can think of off the top of your head, a dream you've had or one that you've worked on with a client that could be an example of that? I'll give you I'll give you two. One is from a client and then one is my own. Um, somebody re- came to me because she was terrified. She had been working in a personal dream group and she had had a dream that an owl featured in. And the people in her dream group were insistent that owls are the harbinger of death and that she really better go get a complete medical workup right away. And she's probably got something really serious going on. And they pointed to other things in her life or her dream. I don't remember all the rest of the details of the dream. But anyway, she was really quite petrified about what this dream might mean. So she came to me for the express purpose of um, getting another opinion, so like a second opinion, so to speak, a consult on that dream. So when we were together, we talked about how owls can mean many things. And I asked her what they meant to her. So in addition to the the true uh, truth that owls might be a harbinger of death in a dream, they aren't always. They also could be symbolic of, of wisdom. For example, Athena's bird, or the goddess of wisdom, was the owl. Um, owls yes. see in the dark. Owls have the ability to turn their heads, I think, practically 360 degrees around, certainly practically that, um, and so they can see in all directions. Um, owls are nocturnal. Um, owls have certain sounds. They go, hoo, hoo, hoo. Um, and then we also... When we have a, a dream um, object, character, person, we also want to look at what's the a priori, the, the in-life information about that. So we want to find out, is this a barn owl? Is this a screech owl? Is it a baby owl? Is it a grandfather owl? Does she know any owls in her life? Has she ever had an encounter with an owl? There were so many different directions we could go in. And as we worked with the dream, it turned out that in her dream, the owl was flying back and forth and was saying to her, who, who? And then I said, did the owl say anything else after who? And I invited her to just listen in to see if she heard anything else. And she heard uh-huh. the owl saying, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> so this was an identity dream about who are you as a person. And that's what this owl was doing for her. It wasn't that she was dying at all. The owl, even though this is an identity dream, could still be considered a harbinger of death, but more specifically, symbolic death. To question who you are and to go down a path of self-discovery would result in a necessary death of who you were in order for you to step into the greater expression of who you are becoming. So her intense fear surrounding the owl possibly being a symbol of death is still very potent. There was a real resistance that was triggered inside of her. I mean, she didn't just brush it off. She had to get a second opinion, right? And so facing her mortality for a time may have been instrumental in a mythic sense 
for that symbolic death to have been initiated. I said, don't neglect your health. If you haven't had a physical in a while, go get one anyway, because we never want to ignore that possibility. But if that isn't what's resonating for you, don't be too anxious about it. <laughs> and she, and it sounds like the the idea of her finding her personal identity, that the owl was, by asking, who are you, was making her think about that question more. And that that was where she was being led by the dream, was to deeply pursue that thought and figure it out exactly. answer the question who are you so the dream about owl swooping actually had to do with being at a crossroads in her life around career direction and career knowledge information you know the owl is associated with um intellect and knowledge right mm -hmm. so right. career did by chance did her career relate to that like maybe she was working in academics or li library she sciences a or herself <laughs> she did what she was actually a psychotherapist herself <laughs> which is a, a you know a, a deeply knowledgeable of i mean not just of psych theory and stuff but knowledgeable of people mm -hmm. um and there is a wisdom about people and mm -hmm. life itself that comes into play as a psychotherapist very interesting linda yeah so so basically the dream had to do with her looking at her self-identity as opposed to what other people, and what I said to her, you know, the other people in your group, maybe they have a health issue that they're worried about and they project yeah. that on you, but that isn't necessarily what your dream is. But yeah. Said, oh, <laughs> and now, and now you've just illustrated something else. The, from the, um, International Association for Study of Dreams, of which we're both a member, mm -hmm. one of the things it says in dream work is to be very careful about transference and countertransference right. of of projecting your own beliefs onto someone else's dream. So the there you speculate that somebody in the dream group could have been projecting that idea onto her dream because they were concerned about their own health. Right. Now, I never knew who these other people were, so I can't say for sure, but that would be a hypothesis that I would certainly entertain as, as yeah. one, one possibility. So you said that you also had another dream of this, you know, big, important dream that helped to shape you. Will you share that one with us? Oh, no. You asked me about, um, it wasn't a big, important, what was the, oh, about the symbolism or the meaning in dreams. So just, it's it's not super big and important, but it was really fun and it was really recent, sort of on the top of my mind. I had a dream, this is really recent. I just happened to have my dream book right here because I have a personal dream group that I've been meeting with. We've been meeting Jason for 35 years. It's just quite amazing. Yeah. Um, and I, we met on Zoom today and I and I just thought I had the, the dream book right here. So I had a dream a couple of weeks ago about my grandma Molly's house. Now this is my mom's mom. And in the dream, that was it. Her house was there. And I could see it really clearly in my eye, mind's eye. It was red brick and it had an A-frame in the front and there was gardens in the back. And that was kind of it. That was the whole dream, just that image. And I didn't really know what it was about. But as I was thinking about it, I said, oh, well, it has something to do with the grandmother, my grandmother, obviously, and it has something to do. And that's like, oh, grandmothers. Who are the grandmothers? 
who are our ancestors. So as I'm sitting and thinking about the dream and talking about the dream and really feeling that sense of my grandmother being being present, she was my color my storybook grandmother because she was like one of those sort of perfect grandmothers she used to build yes. a lot of cards and make us chicken soup and i'd sleep over her house and she was great um but when i'm sitting usually i work in my office in the basement but when i'm sitting teaching my class i'm sitting up in my dining room because i have stuff spread out all over the table and i need more room and right behind me i have a like a there's like a a bureau, a buffet thing. And it's got lots of family pictures. Literally behind me, over my shoulder, is a picture of my grandmother and my grandfather and another picture of my grandmother and my mother as a little girl. And those pictures are sitting behind me and showing up on the Zoom screen as I'm teaching my class about dreaming and Kabbalah and spirituality. So it felt like just a gift of saying that my ancestors were with me um, as I'm here, literally over my shoulder. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so that's, you just got a fragment from the dream. It wasn't really a big narrative or story or anything, right. but it's just saying your, your grandma, it's, it's like you're in her space still because she's still part of your space. Her picture is right there. And even if you're not consciously noticing it, it's still registering every time you walk by and see it. Right. 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 Wow. It was just really interesting to have that dream literally on the night when I started teach the first day of the of, of the class series with oh, wow. you know, a picture over my shoulder that I, I hadn't even really thought about before. Yeah. So it, was, it was lovely. <laughs> Well, Linda, that's wonderful. A, a great dream. And thank you for sharing it. There's been so much that you've been able to offer us in this relatively short time. We've really packed a lot into this interview. Um, I want to remind our listeners that you have a book, Modern Dreamwork. Will you tell us the subtitle of it real quick? Because it's, it's New Tools for Decoding Your Soul's Wisdom, and it's by Llewellyn Publishers. And, uh, and our listeners can find it at moderndreamwork.com, right? Yes, moderndreamwork.com will give you an overview of the book, some of what people have written about it, and some links. You can get it either from the publisher themselves, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it from a lot of indie bookstores. Um, it's uh, available both in paperback and as an ebook. And they can learn about some of the things we've um, touched on but didn't go into depth, like um, incubating a dream, uh, consulting the dream source for big life decisions, um, interpreting dreams using various methods from conventional dream work and psychotherapeutic methods all the way through some of these other things you've touched on, such as the Kabbalah. So they can find out all of that information from your book, right? Yes. Thank you, Jason. And I think I would know because I helped to edit the book. I'll you take that did, part. And I'm gonna, <laughs> Jason was my editor par excellence. He helped midwife that book. So he gets some brownie points. Oh, I'm pat, I'm patting my own back right now, Linda. Here we go. That was such a wonderful. Particularly like, or if you think that the book told a story very well, you can both thank me, but you've got to thank Jason too because he helped me flesh it out and make it richer. Oh, and I hit that over and over again. I said, Linda, you got to turn this into a story. You've given us the bones, man. Put some flesh on those bones. That's true. That's true. Wow. 
well, um, was a wonderful, uh, uh, it still thrills me that I was part of that um, process for you. So um, there was definitely something bigger at work. And too, I'm busy working away on my proposal right now on the other. Yes, you've got, you've got more books in your future and um, they're, they're coming. It's, they're coming. Um, it's, yeah, it's been conceived. Now we just need to birth it. Great. And I'm so delighted that you're, you're doing this. It's a, a, a gift to the dreaming world to be able to have this uh, this library that you're putting together. Yeah, thank you. The Dreams That Shape Us podcast with my co-host Steve Ernenwein and I, and we want to teach people that dreams really can have this wonderful influence on our lives um, and bust this myth that has been perpetuated that dreams are meaningless and there's no point in paying attention to them because you're not going to learn or gain anything from it. Good. So, Lin- Linda, thank you. Thank you so much. And My um, pleasure. I'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, dear. Take All care. Right. Bye. Bye. The Dreams That Shape Us podcast is created and co-hosted by J.M. DeBoard and me, Stephen Erdenwine. Recording and editing of the podcast is shared by the both of us. And all the original music you heard on this episode was written and performed by me, Steve Wine, a.k.a. AQ the Dreamwalker. Now I may be biased because he is my soul brother, but Jason is seriously hands down the best dream teacher and interpreter I've ever met in the 15 years that I've been doing dream work. So I wholeheartedly encourage you to check out his body of work through his website, jmdebord.com. That's J-M-D-E-B-O-R-D.com. And there you can find links to his three amazing books, his dreamschool.net, and his various social media profiles. And of course, you can always join him on Reddit. He's a moderator there by the name of Rad Owl. My music aims to call home the missing pieces of someone's soul. And if you dig that, you can listen for free to my dream-inspired hip-hop and singer-songwriter music on all major streaming platforms under AQ The Dreamwalker. And you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube under AQ The Dreamwalker for more intimate information on my creative process, my music, and my dreaming life. I would be deeply honored if you would join me. Linda... She has an amazing book called Modern Dreamwork. You can find it on an Amazon or you can go to her website, lindawyshiller.com to find out more information on her, her practice, and her book. If you love what we're doing, we really hope you do. Sharing is caring, man. It helps us to obliterate the Western myth that dreams mean nothing and helps to inspire more people to take their dreams more seriously. So any help that you can offer us in spreading this podcast far and wide, we would be deeply honored and grateful for that. And thank you to everybody out there listening. And a deep and handsome thanks to Linda for sharing her amazing and heartfelt story with us all here today. We love you. And for Jason DeBoer, I am Stephen Erdenwein signing off and saying, Nighty night! (laughs) Ha <laughs>
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.